Welcome to the LA Public Health Podcast. I'm Steve Baldwin. Last month, on May 29th, 2023, we celebrated Memorial Day in the United States and the long weekend that is traditionally observed with shared American remembrance and the traditional barbecue made headlines again, sadly, for the epidemic of gun violence. The nonprofit Gun Violence Archive which keeps track of American gun violence incidents, noted there were at least 175 people killed and another 496 injured during Memorial Day weekend this year, and 20 mass shootings in which four or more people were injured or killed. Many of those shootings happened at home with a family member's own gun. The Gun Violence Archive now calculates more than 17,000 people have died so far this year in the U.S. from guns, including more than 100 children under the age of 12. June is Gun Violence Awareness Month, which was created to draw attention to this tragic reality and to help fuel demand for life-saving changes. And today I'm joined by Andrea Welsing, Director of the Office of Violence Prevention in the LA County Department of Public Health, who joins us to share about gun violence in LA County and how people can get involved to become part of the solution. Andrea, my friend, it's great to see you and thank you for coming on the LA Public Health Podcast. My pleasure, Steve. Good to see you again. Yeah, thank you for coming on the show and and talking about what is not always a comfortable subject. Andrea, we've talked a little bit about gun violence in the past. You were on the show last year around this time. Can you refresh our memory? What is your role in the Department of Public Health? Uh, Maybe share a little bit about the work that goes on in the Office of Violence Prevention. I am the director of the Office of Violence Prevention, which is housed in the Department of Public Health. The Board of Supervisors, the Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors established the Office of Violence Prevention in February, 2019. I came on board in September of 2019 as the director. Our mission really in this office is to strengthen coordination, capacity, and partnerships to address the root causes of violence and to advance policies and practices that are grounded in race equity to prevent all forms of violence and to promote healing across all communities in LA County. I'm honored to serve in this role and to lead this work along with a team that is focused on the work so that I want to say, in addition to the gun violence prevention platform, which I know we'll talk a little bit more about in a minute, I just want to say that in addition to that work, the Office of Violence Prevention has six implementation priorities. That includes expanding our trauma prevention initiative, which started out in South L.A. and now is expanded to nine communities across L.A. County is to establish regional violence prevention coalitions in each service planning area. This work needs to be local and place-based. In a county as large as Los Angeles with 10 million plus residents, we really have a local place-based approach to the work that we do and involve those most impacted by violence in designing the the solutions to violence and, and to address the challenge of violence in communities. Another implementation priority is to establish an open data portal that is culturally relevant and community accessible, to implement a crisis response pilot, again, starting in East LA, to advance trauma-informed care 
systems change work so that as we do the work that we do when we work with in communities that are impacted by violence we know that there can be resulting trauma and so part of our job is to really advance trauma-informed care practices and systems change within the county and our last implementation priority which we feel really is really important is about shifting the narrative on violence and trauma. How we talk about violence, how we message about violence is really important. So that is another one of our priorities. So that in summary is, is who we are and my role within this office and the work that we do. It sounds like such a comprehensive plan. Can you share a little bit about some of the statistics or maybe some of the trends related to gun violence in L.A. County. I, I shared a little bit about what's happening nationally, particularly over Memorial Day weekend, which was just atrocious. Uh, but I'm, I'm just wondering if you can share, is L.A. County reflective of the national trend as well? What's, what's happening in our county? So there are actually real differences when we look at the data for L.A. County as it relates to homicides and suicides. Maybe you know this, Steve, too, like right now, nationally, Firearms have become the number one cause of death among children and teens in the United States. Uh, alarming to hear that and know that. In L.A. County, it's a little bit different. It, it is not the leading cause of death among children here in L.A. County. But I, I want to share some sobering statistics with you just to set the foundation and set the groundwork for the platform that we'll talk about shortly. In L.A. County... Firearm homicides increased by 64% from 2019 to 21. So I'll just say wow. that again. Firearm homicides increased by 64% from 2019 to 2021. During 2020, 818 LA County residents died from firearm injuries. But I want to emphasize deaths are just the tip of the iceberg. For everyone who is shot and killed by a firearm, there are many more who experience maybe shot and severely injured and survive that firearm injury. So in L.A. County in 2020, for instance, there were 2,239 L.A. County residents who were shot or injured severely enough to require treatment in the hospital or emergency room. In addition to those who are directly shot and killed or those who are shot and survive that injury, there are many more who witness that violence and experience that violence. And that also has impacts and effects. Hmm. Two last things I just want to say is that there is a disproportionate impact of firearm deaths among populations here in L.A. County. The firearm suicide rate for adults 55 plus and older is more than twice that of the county overall. And the firearm homicide rates for Blacks and African Americans is more than three times that of the county overall. So real disproportionate impacts depending on what you're looking at, homicides or suicides. And what we know, bottom line, is the cost is significant. Not only the social and emotional cost of gun violence, but there is a, a $547 million in direct cost um, to firearm violence. And that includes from hospitalization, healthcare costs, law enforcement costs, things like that. We know that it has a huge, huge price tag 
for us as a society and as communities and as and individuals. I, I couldn't help but to think a little bit more about that first stat that you shared, the increase from 2019 to 2021, mm-hmm. 64%. It's, it's such a huge number. I'm, I'm just wondering if you have any sense of what was fueling that. What are the factors that are contributing to these numbers? I mean, I, I can't help but to think also that was during the pandemic, right? So do you think that what we were going through as a community here in LA County had, you know, during the pandemic, was that contributing to the increase in violence and gun violence? You know, Stu, I, I certainly think absolutely the pandemic had an impact in the sense that you know there was increased social isolation due to the pandemic and due to the lockdown connections that maybe kids had in school to a teacher or uh, or someone else communities in more in isolation plus we know that there were economic impacts as well people lost their jobs people so absolutely i think factors associated with the pandemic had something to do with it. I will also tell you this, and I, I, I won't be able to give you the exact numbers, but during 2020, there was an increase in the purchase of firearms in this country, and that was across the board, but we also saw that in California and LA County. So there was a, an increase in gun purchases as well as then this combined effect of social isolation, economic impacts, and I'm sure there are other factors as well. So um, I think those are all contributing to the increases that we saw in gun violence. At the same time, you know that the programs that we fund, the street outreach and intervention, the hospital-based violence intervention, other programs, not only us, but in other, in other places, you know, all of those were shut down or reduced or had to pivot as well in response to the pandemic. So, again, you're talking about increased social isolation, increased needs, but then also programs and services that were impacted by the pandemic as well. That combined with an increase in firearm purchases could all be potentially some of the factors that led to the increases that we saw during that time. Your office recently convened the Gun Violence Prevention Task Force to create the platform. I'm wondering, you know, aside from these staggering numbers that you shared, what prompted the formation of the platform? Why is the board so behind this effort? And it sort, sort of seems like an obvious question, but I'm just curious if there's anything really driving the political will behind this, aside from what are obviously just devastating numbers and a lot of harm happening in the community. What do you think is the main driver? Yes, let me tell you, Steve, I mean, to your question, you know, what drove us to establish the gun violence prevention platform and to call together county and community partners, really, I think this started back in May 2022. Two mass shootings occurred within 10 days of each other in Buffalo, New York and Uvalde, Texas. And you'll remember remember those those. tragic, tragic incidents. And then, of course, in January 2023, Two mass shootings hit closer to home within two days of each other in the California cities of Monterey Park, our next door neighbor right here because we're in Alhambra and in Half Moon Bay. The frequency of mass shootings in the United States 
you know, you mentioned those numbers from the gun violence archive, how many mass shootings had occurred over the Memorial Day weekend. Those numbers are staggering. And then on top of this, what we know is that on a daily basis, there's a violence that's occurring in our communities. And so I think this combination of things really called us. It was an urgent call to do something in response to what we were seeing. And so we pulled in June of 2022, we first pulled our county leadership committee and our Community Partnership Council. These are two groups that govern the Office of Violence Prevention. We pulled those partners and others to form a gun violence task force. And this includes, you know, community and faith leaders, healthcare partners, mental health experts, public safety agencies, social service providers, public health practitioners. We pulled together as a gun violence prevention task force. And That group helped us to hone and refine a 40-point platform to address gun violence here in L.A. County. So in June 2022, Gun Violence Prevention Task Force was developed, pulled together a 40-point platform to address the issue of gun violence. But what we said, that's huge, and that and that builds upon the work of the office that we're already doing. But we really need to prioritize. What can we do immediately and urgently this year to really look at and address the issue of gun violence? And so out of that platform, we identified four priority areas to focus on in the 2023 year and obviously beyond as we need to. But we are really focused on these four priorities in this next upcoming year to help us address this urgent public health crisis of gun violence Mm -hmm. in Los Angeles County. The platform includes a focus on root causes. And Mm -hmm. I'm just wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. What are some of the root causes that, that have given rise to the violence that we're seeing? In public health, you know, we talk about, you know, social determinants of health. We talk about the root causes and we talk about risk and protective factors. And that's important, Steve, because our office is really tasked to addressing multiple forms of violence, whether it be suicide, homicide, domestic violence, you know, across the board. When you look at these issues, there are root causes that contribute are factors that can contribute to violence. And so when you look at factors and you look at root causes, you can look at various levels. But but it's certainly things like when you look at poverty and you look at the ways in which systemic and structural racism play into violence, education, lack of access to jobs, lack of access to quality education, those are, if you imagine there's a tree and, you know, the tree is only going to be as good and as strong as the roots in the soil. So if you have things, poverty and lack of access to resources and opportunities, that tree is not going to blossom in the same way as if it is infused with, you know, things that will help it to flourish. And so when we really talk about the root causes of violence, we are looking at things that are really, to me, revolve around this idea of a lack of access to the resources and opportunities needed to 
thrive. And we know that in this country, looking at it with the lens of equity and, and racism, like certain populations may be well more well-resourced than others. And so I think it is really those things, those core components, housing, education, access to food that can, can contribute to an environment that either leads to violence or protects from violence. So that's what we mean when we're talking about looking at the root causes of violence and what we need to address that. A little earlier, you talked about the gun violence prevention platform, and you mentioned there were 40 strategies. And it's it's so comprehensive, common sense gun legislation, public awareness campaigns, training programs for service providers, intervention services, healing spaces and services, prevention services for youth. Given all of these strategies, you mentioned that there were three or four like key focus areas for the coming year. What What is your office focused on? Yes, our platform is broad and it's comprehensive. You really do need a comprehensive approach when you look at the complex issue of violence. But the four priorities that we are focused on in this next coming year and each of within that gun violence prevention task force, we have four subcommittees that are focused on each one of these four priorities. The first priority is really around legislation and advocating for robust gun safety legislation locally and nationally. You may know that in California, we have some of the strongest gun safety legislation in place. LA County, our board of supervisors um, have been wonderful and really supportive of really looking at what local ordinances can we enact around gun safety. But it really needs to happen on both the local level and then nationally. How do we advocate, for instance, the federal ban on assault weapons and large capacity magazines, universal background checks, ghost guns, gun safe storage. So they're just our first priority is around legislation and advocating for that both locally and nationally. Our second priority is really around this idea, and we talked about during the pandemic, this idea of social isolation. People were isolated, and we know that social connection is so important and um, as a protective factor against violence of all types. So our second priority is to promote social connections, healing, and a culture of peace through safe spaces and programs that address harm, trauma, and the impact of violence. We really want to use the opportunity with the infusion of the federal dollars around the American Rescue Plan Act. We really want to see how we can invest that funding in programs that foster community togetherness, support healing, uh, support our young people, both in school and in community. Promoting social connections, healing, and a culture of peace is our second priority. Our third priority is really around the issue of gun violence restraining orders and other types of restraining orders. We know that there can be times when individuals, it may be noticed that they may be at risk of harming themselves or others. And a gun violence restraining order is simply a tool to say during, you know, if you're noticing signs or symptoms, And an individual, either for self-harm or for harming others, you know, you have this tool available. So in partnership with the courts, community and faith-based organizations and law enforcement, we really want to improve awareness 
of gun violence restraining orders and other types of restraining orders because there's multiple. There's domestic violence restraining orders, there's gun violence restraining orders, there's workplace restraining orders. There's some uh, such a thing as temporary transfer of a firearm that you don't have to even go through a legal process. But as we work to improve awareness and access to gun violence restraining orders, we really want to ensure that those systems and services and messaging are accessible culturally relevant and they cause no harm. That's our third priority. And our mm-hmm. and our fourth priority is really focused on school safety and school climate. We have a board motion that we're working on right now to come up with a pilot initiative that we can work with two to three school districts to implement and really looks at increasing access to comprehensive and culturally relevant physical and mental health supports and services for all students K through 12. How can we support schools in in a variety of ways to really make the school environment a safe one for all children and one where they can focus on learning and thrive? Uh, So that's our fourth priority around school safety and services that we can help to support youth, school personnel, and school districts as a whole. I I have a a couple of questions about each one of those strategies, but before I ask them, I'm wondering, can you talk a little bit about the community involvement in these strategies just broadly? Because I know there are a lot of people that are involved in, in this effort that aren't part of your team that are part of the community that are advocating for this work. I'm wondering if you can just talk a little bit about that, Andrea, because you and I have worked together for a long time and I know how much community means to you. Absolutely. You you know that, Steve, and I appreciate you lifting that up because that is key and fundamental to this office. We don't go into community as a government entity and say, here's what we want to do. It just cannot be done that way. And we also want to recognize that in L.A. County, there is a long history of very good violence prevention work that has been done by community-based organizations, whether you're talking about intervention or domestic violence or child abuse or elder abuse, there are many organizations that for a long time have done really good work in this arena. And so we want to honor and respect that. We want to lead with that. What we do here in the Office of Violence Prevention, really, as we use the data to understand what are the communities and populations and geographies that are most impacted by violence? So we use the data to inform our efforts and understand across multiple indicators, whether they be crime statistics or homicides or other data elements, which are the communities with the highest rates of violence? And I want to say here, too, that we use the data to understand the communities with the highest rates of violence. But in all of the communities that we've worked in, those communities are not identified solely as the data around violence. There are so many assets and resources and amazing leaders in communities that are also facing these issues of violence. So really in our office, so what we do is we go in and and really community engagement and working in concert with community members, setting up community action for peace groups, establishing the regional violence prevention coalitions, which I told you about earlier. It's really about working with uh, community-based organizations, faith leaders, 
pulling others to the table to understand the issues and then understanding where we as a county office of violence prevention can support. We want this work to be survivor centered and that the conversations around what are the solutions to be informed by those most impacted by violence themselves. And along those lines, I just want to share because it was a really quite an amazing project with the Department of Arts and Culture and an artist in residence that we had with us for three years, Olga Kumandoris, who we embarked on this storytelling project where we collected the stories of 100 individuals across LA County, a diverse group of individuals by geography, type of violence that they were impacted by. We collected those stories, pulled 33 of them into a book called Violence, Hope and Healing in Los Angeles County, those voices in that book and just reading through those stories and listening to those stories also really informed our work. And so we just really want to lift up always as we center this work and as we were funding strategies or implementing strategies to really have them be informed, have those conversations, bring multiple people to the table to to understand what those strategies need to look like, what that work needs to look like. So thank you very much for asking about community engagement and community involvement, very important to us. Oh, of course. And if folks are interested in learning more about the violence, hope, and healing in Los Angeles County and the book that was assembled, there's a great webpage on our website that I will link in the show notes for this episode, or you can go to publichealth.lacounty.gov forward slash OVP for the Office of Violence Prevention and link directly there. And it's a beautiful page um, with a lot of information and images and it just it looks beautiful and Olga's Olga's there on the page and featured and it looks just it's gorgeous and it looks really nice. So when we talk about community and these different approaches that you're taking for this year, let's start with legislation. How, how are the community groups that you're engaging with integrating a legislative strategy into LA County? What are some of the strategies that you're undertaking with legislation? What we're doing there, Steve, is we're really working on a number of levels in terms of legislation. So one, we're working with our Office of Government Affairs to really understand what are the opportunities in L.A. County to enact uh, additional local ordinances around gun safety. Um, So where are the local opportunities? You know, we look at LA City, we look at the ordinances they've enacted, we look at where are their opportunities here. And so we want to see where there might be gaps and where we might be able to put before uh, the board, like where are there some opportunities for local ordinances that we may not have thought of in the past and seeing if we can pass additional legislation here in LA County. At the same time, we are looking nationally at what's going on and um, where there are opportunities to support legislation on the national level and how can we build political will for that type of advocacy by creating public awareness you know around the issue of gun violence and around different gun violence measures that can be taken so we want to look at where there's opportunity to enact additional legislation locally and nationally. We want to increase public awareness about gun violence and prevention legislation and create some political will around that. And then we really want to find where there's opportunities, where is there an opportunity for us to have people get them involved in civically engaged so that they become voices 
to advocate, sort of like learn the facts, share the facts, and individuals within communities can advocate that for that within their circles and within their communities. So those are sort of the multiple things that we're doing in terms of the, the legislation priority. You also mentioned a priority is the social connection and healing services. To me, that sort of connects to the question that I asked about the root causes. You mentioned some of the root causes, institutional racism, poverty, isolation. And these are some big ticket items you're trying to tackle here, Andrea. Can you share just maybe just a couple of the strategies that you're considering for the coming year to take on those challenges? Absolutely, Steve. So, you know, as the task force members came together and really, you know, we're we're identifying the priorities and they just looked at, you know, growing evidence that risk factors such as social isolation, feelings of exclusion, lack of social support, they can be root causes of violence. Unresolved trauma following exposure to violence is also a risk factor. And these experiences can be compounded by poverty, racism, and other inequities. So when you look at that, we really felt it was important to have a priority around social connections and healing services. And I think there are specific things that we want to do. We want to, again, and I I said this earlier, we want to invest. We have this opportunity with the American Rescue Plan dollars. We're very grateful for these additional resources at this time in communities that are most impacted by COVID to really broaden the spectrum of, of things that we are able to fund and support. And so one of the things that we really want to invest in are programs, resources, and interventions that promote healing and social connection and that build trust within and between communities. So this could mean funding peer support groups, offering healing events and activities in the parks and in the libraries, conducting workshops on trauma, grief, and loss, supporting local healing or drumming circles, music or art therapy, or providing mini grants for culturally relevant and community-based healing practices and programs. Specifically, we would like to conduct and see how our contracted agencies, some of our regional violence prevention lead agencies, our trauma prevention initiative contracted agencies, how can we, you know, support them to conduct, you know, healing events and um, make connections for community residents around healing and trauma-informed care? The Department of Mental Health does this fantastic series um, called Mental Health First Aid, where it really allows, trains people to look for signs and symptoms in their fellow community members to then get them linked to resources So it's sort of just to recognize and then get people connected to services. So we're looking really at how do we support mental health first aid and more mental health first aid trainings across the board in L.A. County. But then specifically for our youth who we know, again, during COVID, social isolation, disconnected, and how can we really train youth peer leaders around mental health first aid. So those are some of the strategies that we have and that we're focused on, investing in funding in healing services and programs and resources, 
also expanding training for mental health first aid so that a broader circle of people who are connected to to families and friends and and community members to recognize signs and symptoms of somebody who might be experiencing they're not therapists so we're not the training doesn't certify them as counselors or anything but just trains them to recognize signs and symptoms of an individual um, that might be experiencing difficulty and get them connected to to resources and to help. And we will also include a, a link for mental health first aid in our in our show notes for this episode. I had a question about gun violence restraining orders. I was a little bit unclear. Do restraining orders cover removal of guns and the purchase of new guns? Or how do they exactly work in terms of reducing risk of harm from firearms? Excellent question, Steve. No, thank you very much for asking that. So let me give a little bit of history here, just a minute of it. Gun violence restraining orders are not new. There was a 2016 California law, commonly known as the red flag law, that allows certain people, eligible people, including law enforcement, family members, intimate partners, housemates, employers, co-workers, and school officials to petition a court for a gun violence restraining order that allows eligible individuals to petition a court for a gun violence restraining order. If granted by the court, the gun violence restraining order would mandate that the subject of the petition, who is deemed a threat to themselves or others, have firearms or ammunition removed from their possession for up to five years with options to petition a judge to lift the order every year. But it also prohibits those subject to a GVRO from purchasing firearms or ammunition. So meaning a GVRO can be filed with respect to a person who does not currently possess a gun in order to prevent them from purchasing one in the future to inflict harm to themselves or to others. GVROs have great potential to prevent gun violence and to save lives, but it has been drastically underutilized in in the United States and in LA County. And so part, we are, again, we're working on a board motion that will have recommendations and go back to the board. That includes three components to it. One, for a public awareness campaign around gun violence restraining orders, to collect data around gun violence restraining orders so we understand how many are being filed every year and who's filing them and why. And then there's a third component because traditionally law enforcement has been the one to obtain a gun violence restraining order, but we know that, that a broader circle of people are eligible to petition for one. And so we really want to find ways that we can, you know, if civilians wish to file a gun violence restraining order, how do they do that? And I just have to say as a caution, as we really did our research around gun violence restraining orders, there can be unintended harms especially in communities of color. So we really want to be careful about that. It is a tool, but it perhaps is a tool of last resort as you understand, again, those signs and symptoms, someone in distress, someone who's, whose behavior is changing dramatically, who might have access to a gun. You want to link people to resources and that they need